Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. I want to welcome everybody who is joining us online today. Thank you so much for being here. And if you're ever in the area, we want you to stop by one Sunday at 930 or 11 o'clock. But as we go to our text this morning in 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, we're going to see a story of David when he's a young boy being anointed as king over Israel. Can you imagine being a little kid given the task of leading a nation? Can you imagine how overwhelming that may seem? I mean, I was overwhelmed with 10th grade, much less leading an entire nation. But obviously, if God calls you to something, he has equipped you for it. It doesn't matter how insignificant you feel. It doesn't matter how inadequate you may feel. It doesn't matter how undeserving you may feel. If God has called you to something, he has equipped you for it. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, if he's called you to it, He's equipped you for it. And so at this moment in David's life, he has no idea. He has no concept of what God is going to do in his life. God is going to blow his mind. And I just believe today that God is going to blow some of your minds. Amen. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel is a prophet of God. How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you you don't get to make the decision you don't get to choose because if you choose you'll choose wrongly so God himself is going to select the next king of Israel and Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said do you come peaceably And he said, yeah, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, so go consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab. Eliab is David's older brother. And he thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord sees not as man sees. God does not look at things the way you look at them. He says man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, hey, neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your sons? Is this it? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he's out keeping the sheep. He's, he's not old enough to be here. He, he doesn't belong here. He belongs outside. He's got his place out in the field. But Samuel said, send and get him, for we will not sit down. I'm not going to sit down. You're not going to sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and beautiful. He had beautiful eyes and was handsome. To give you a visual image of what David probably looked like, I want to invite you to gaze upon me. I feel like it helps us connect to the Bible stories when we can play it into our imagination. So if you want to see how beautiful David was, just look up here. Bless your heart. It'll help you. Our humility was also on the same level, unmatched by no one. No one is more humble than I or David. I'm joking. For those of you who are new, you're like, I can't believe this guy. But David had beautiful eyes. It was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forth. See, that's what you need in life. It's not about your education. It's not about your upbringing. It's not about where you came from. It's not about the color of your skin. It's not about how much money you have in your bank account. It's whether or not you have the spirit of the Lord upon you because he is the one that causes you to prosper in your purpose. And here we see the spirit rushes on David from that day forward and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Tell the person next to you, God looks at the heart. That's really good news. I am thankful that God does not judge me based upon my appearance. I am thankful that God does not judge me according to what I have done. He looks at my heart. Uh, have, anyone in here familiar with the television show The Office? It was on a few years ago. I, I really enjoyed the show. And, and for those of you who aren't aware of this show, welcome to 2021. Uh, but but it's, it's, the story is set around this office that supplies paper. And upstairs you've got the management and the sales department. And then downstairs you have the warehouse workers. And so the manager decides he's going to put together this basketball game between, y'all know, see, you know this episode. He decides he's going to put this basketball game uh, together that would be the management and sales versus the warehouse. And so when Michael, who is the manager, goes to pick his team, he starts picking his team based upon what he sees. He starts looking at people and going, okay, well, you look like you can play. Based upon your appearance, based upon your height, I, I'm thinking that you could possibly play, not realizing the actual athletes in the office didn't look like they could play. So he didn't select them. And it's amazing to me how we, as human beings, size people up based upon what they look like. I mean, we look at someone and we go, that person is smart, that pe person is dumb, just based upon their appearance. We'll, see, we'll think things like that person is wealthy and that person is poor. But how many of you know what you see is not always what you get? Some of the wealthiest people I have ever met in my life are the most, like you would, you would never know it. 
you would never know how much they have based upon what they got. As a matter of fact, if they walked in here today, there's one gentleman that I know, if he walked in here today, you would think, oh, bless his heart, we need to take a liver offering for the border so he can get a hamburger on the way home. Because he looks like nothing, but he's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Just to give you an idea of how wealthy this guy is, one day when I was a kid, we were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and me and his grandkids were in this hotel room, which was not a great idea to set all these kids free in a hotel room with no adult supervision, and we were super loud. And they came up, they came up, and they kicked us out of the hotel. And so we are sitting on the curb until his limo pulls up. He walks into the hotel, tells them who he is, and he says, I'm renting the entire floor tonight. Let my grandkids and his friends go back up to the room. Yes, sir. We went back up. That's power. When you got that kind of money, when you can walk in and just say, this is who I am, they go, yes, sir, you got the whole floor. But but you would have never known it by what he looked like. But that's what we do. We judge people based upon their appearance. We, we, We will even judge them according to what they've accomplished in life. And we think like if they've accomplished this, then that is success. But I want you to understand, God is not impressed by what you've accomplished. God is not impressed by what you can do. God is not impressed with your gifts. God is not impressed with your talents. God is not impressed with how well I can speak. God is not impressed by how many people we can gather together in a building. What God looks at is your heart. And so Eliab, he comes before Jesse's sons. I'm sorry, Samuel comes before Jesse's sons, and he sees Eliab, David's older brother, and immediately he goes, this must be the guy. He looks good. He's he's tall. He's he's buff. He, he, He looks like he's got what it takes to be the king of Israel. This must be the one that God has chosen, and God says, not him. And he goes down the line over and over, son after son after son. And God says, it's not him because he may look right. He may have the appearance, but he doesn't have the heart because God is more interested in who you are over what you can do. Are you hearing that? God is not interested in your ability as much as he is interested in who you are. Because if he has your heart, he can give you the ability. See, we think that God is looking for someone who has all this ability and this talent and these gifts. And that's the one he'll raise up to do something great for his kingdom. And he says, that means nothing to me. I want the person that has my heart, that's passionate for my kingdom, the one who's seeking after me, the one who's overlooked, the one who's not even invited to the party. That's the one I want because his heart is there. And if I have his heart, I can do great things with him. If I have his heart, I can get his gift. Your heart will trump your ability every single time. You want to be great? Don't focus on your ability. Focus on your heart. Get your heart right before God. He'll get you where you need to be. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16.9. The Bible says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. God's searching the entire earth. I mean, imagine God sitting there, his eyes or going throughout the earth to give strong support. Somebody say strong support. To those whose heart is blameless toward him. So let me just pause there. His desire is to give someone strong support. 
In other words, I don't have to have the strength within myself. God is looking for me so that he can give me the ability and the strength I need. God's eyes are running and roaming throughout the entire earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. And when I read that, immediately I get scared because I realize my heart's not blameless. Anybody else in here want to admit that your heart's not blameless? So if that's what it means, I'm disqualified from the strong support. But if you look it up, go to the original text. When it says blameless, it's not talking about perfect. It's talking about a heart that is completely towards him. A heart that is wholeheartedly going after God. And he says, that's one I'll show strong support to. God is not looking for a perfect person. He's looking for a pliable person. Are you following that? God is not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be pliable because none of us are perfect. And if you think you are, then your stumbling block is pride. Because the Bible teaches that we have all, somebody say all. We've all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory, meaning if his standard is here, I'm way down here. I'm, no, I'm, not even, I'm nowhere close to it. It's not like I, I just missed it by that much. No, I'm nowhere near it, and that's all of us. So God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for pliable people, people who understand their weakness, people who understand they need God, people that understand I can't make it without him. I can't do anything without him. I can't go to work without him. He is the source of my strength. He is the source of my wisdom. He is the source of my strength. He is the source of my peace and joy. He is everything. And when God finds that heart, he says, I can do something with that person. You know, one of the biggest differences between Saul and David Saul being the king who preceded David and David being the future king, one of the biggest differences you'll see about them is this. When Saul messed up and sinned and was confronted with it, he made excuses. When David messed up and David sinned, he sought forgiveness. One had a hard heart and one was pliable. One made excuses and wanted to cover it up and said, Samuel, come on, just make me look good in the eyes of the people. We'll fix this. We'll sweep it under the rug. We'll go forward. The other is confronted with his sin and his heart is broken and he gets down before God and he says, oh God, don't allow your presence to be taken away from me. Do anything, but don't remove your presence from me. Create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit. That's David. He is humbling himself before God. He knows he's not perfect, but he's pliable. You know, on the surface, when you look at their stories, what Saul did was really minimal compared to what David did. I mean, Saul just didn't, I mean, God told Saul to do something and Saul didn't do it. How many of you could say, like, there's been things that God has asked you to do that you've not done? That's all of us. It's all of us. Look at your tithing record. It's probably you. We've, we've all done that. We've, we've all missed the mark. That's what Saul did. David, on the other hand, sleeps with someone he shouldn't sleep with, 
gets her pregnant, and then has her husband murdered. How many of you say that's a pretty big deal? Yet God looks at David and says, he's got my heart. He's got my heart. Because when he did what was wrong, instead of trying to cover it up and make excuses, he fell and humbled himself before the mighty hand of God. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be pliable. David was usable because David was pliable. And when you're pliable, God can form you and make you into the thing or the person he's called you to be. He's looking for people who will remain humble and broken. David was just a shepherd boy. He didn't have some amazing pedigree. He didn't have a royal family. He didn't belong in the palace. He wasn't next in line. But God saw his heart. And because he had the right heart, God said, I can trust him. I can trust him to make the right decisions. I can trust him to care for my people. David's not going to be about David. David's going to be about the people. David's not going to be about his own will and his own way. David's going to be about my will and my way. If you are pliable, you are usable. If you are pliable, you are usable. If you are pliable, hear it. If you are pliable, you are usable. It doesn't matter what you have going for you or what you have going against you. If you are pliable, you are usable. God is just waiting for people to make themselves available. To say, here I am with all my mess, with all my hurts, with all my filth, with all the damage. With all my lack, here I am. I lay my life before you. I'm not perfect, but I know I need you. Which is really the message of the cross. We were all in need of a Savior, and the good news is we have one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your life will follow your heart. Your life will follow your heart. In other words, you will head in the direction of your desires. Does that make sense to you? If you desire something long enough and you meditate on that thing long enough, you will go towards that thing. I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather uh, was a, a motorcycle guy. As a matter of fact, he was a part of a motorcycle gang out in East Los Angeles. It was called the East Los Angeles Falcons that later became a part of the Hells Angels. So my grandfather was a biker. He, he loved motorcycles. He loved to work on motorcycles. My father rode motorcycles. And so I just had this love for motorcycles since I was a kid. My cousin was here in the, first, uh, in the service. He was playing guitar. And I thought about him this morning. When we were kids, we would play Chips. Y'all remember the, the show Chips on TV? How many of y'all remember when it was like really on te television, not in syndication? You remember that? It's because you're old. See, I watched the repeats. But, but my cousin and I, we, we put on full face mask, you know, motorcycle helmets, and we ride around on our bicycles, you know, chasing the bad guys. We love motorcycles. I even loved my, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid was Grease. But not Grease 1, Grease 2. You know why? Because they had motorcycles. And the movie was about this nerdy kid that nobody wanted to be around that bought a motorcycle and then gets to date Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm like, yes, Lord. It sounds like a game plan for my life. I'll buy a motorcycle and date Michelle Pfeiffer. Although I should probably update that now because, you know. <laughs> but I love motorcycles. And so when I was in my 20s 
and actually had the means to be able to get a motorcycle. I thought about motorcycles and I started going to the shops and I started looking online. And you know what happened? I ended up buying a motorcycle because I desired, I allowed that desire to take root in me and that desire led me in that direction. How many of you know that's true? Anything you allow to get in your heart that develops a desire, at some point in time, you will go after it. And it doesn't matter what you have to do. It doesn't matter what you have to put back. It doesn't matter what you have to save. It doesn't matter who you have to run over. If you desire it long enough, you will find a way to go after it. And that works with the good things in life as well as the bad things. That works with the things of God as well as the things that we should stay away from. And David understood that. And so he says in Psalm 19, 14, he says to God, he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Why is he saying that? He's saying, God, I want the meditation of my heart to be acceptable because I'm going to gravitate towards whatever I am meditating on. This is important to understand. Whatever you meditate on is what you will gravitate towards. That is why some of you, although you are a Christian, you remain stuck and bound in a certain area of your life. Because you're continually meditating on that thing or what fuels that thing. Even to the point of thinking and meditating on the fact that you want to get rid of it. So it's like you got a problem. I've identified this problem in my life. I know that it's not pleasing to God, so I want to get rid of it. But the problem is I'm always thinking about how I need to get rid of it. And so it's keeping it on my mind. And the more I think about it, the more I actually desire it. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been on a fast before. But if you've ever been on a food fast, you will start craving things that you never even thought were edible. I mean, you will start wanting a Snickers bar smothered in mayonnaise. And if you know, if you know, it's amazing. If you know, if you know that you are starting a fast that's going to last a week, the night before something happens in your body to where it's like you just start desiring food. Like I've got to, I've got to store up, got to store up, got to store up. And all you think about the entire fast is how much you want to eat. Now, if you weren't fasting, you could go without lunch without even. Th- I mean, I go without lunch all the time. But if you tell me I'm fasting, no. I got to eat. I'm starving. I want a Snickers bar dipped in mayonnaise. It's because that's what, I'm, are you saying, that's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm meditating on. So if there's an issue in my life, what I have to do is I have to stop meditating on the issue. I've got to stop meditating on what feeds the issue. And I've got to get my heart in the right place and start meditating on God. And when my meditation becomes acceptable, that's when God steps in and starts to transform and to mold and to change me. Listen, your life is in a process. It's not going to all change overnight. You can be saved, but you can still have issues. And just because you have issues doesn't mean that you're not saved. Are you following me? Some people question their salvation because they're still dealing with the same stuff they dealt with before they gave their life to Christ. That's called being a human being. The solution is to get your eyes fixed on Jesus. And the more you meditate on him, the closer you draw to him, the more you feed yourself on his word, the more things begin to transform and change in your life. Not because you're changing you, but because the spirit of God is now doing what he's purposed to do. What are you filling yourself with? That's the question. What are you filling yourself with? It's amazing how many people who say they're Christians never worship. They never pray or communicate to God. They never take time to try to hear God's voice. 
They never take time to praise. They never take, are you, all these things, getting the word of God, we don't do it and we wonder why our life's becoming a mess. It's because we're filling ourselves with so much garbage. The news, social media, negative voices, people around us, all this stuff is feeding us and it's getting into our heart. And out of our heart, the Bible says, springs the issues of life. Think about that. Because what's deposited in here is going to gush forth. So if it's this, if this just garbage, that garbage is going to gush forth. No matter, no matter how disciplined I think I am, that's going to come out of me at some point because that's what I've filled myself with. Your life will follow your heart, so make sure your heart's in the right place. Doesn't mean you'll be a perfect person. You understand what I'm saying? Doesn't mean you're a perfect person, but you're filling yourself. You're taking your time to be in the presence of God. That's what changes you. That's what transforms you is the presence of God, not attending a church service. This is important. This is valuable. This is part of the kingdom. But this alone by itself, all I can do is plant a seed. You've got to take the seed home and, and water it. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, the, my daughter did a project at school, and they wanted to send home all these plants. They did all the, the legwork there. They planted the seed, but once that plant comes home, we've got to water it. We've got to take care of it. And if it dies, I can't go blame the teacher. She sowed the seed. That's all the ministry team can do is sow the seed. You've got to nurture it. And the fruitfulness of it is completely determined by you and God, yielding to his spirit, yielding to his presence. I'm telling you, if you want to see your life change, give your complete heart to him. Stop being like the, the, the old person at the pool who wants to just dip the toe. You know what I'm saying? Just dip the toe. You've got to be willing to go all the way in. Here I am, God. All of me. The Bible talks about giving our life as a living sacrifice. That's what God really desires, is that we lay our life down as a living sacrifice, holy and completely to the Lord. Not a portion of us, all of us. All of us. Everything that makes up who I am belongs to God. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart, guard your heart with all vigilance. Why? That's where the issues of life are going to come. So I've got to guard what's in me. The next thing I want to say is something that hit me so hard about a week ago, and it's something I've been really thinking about. It's this. God is more interested in who you are than in what you do. God is more interested in who you are than in what you do. That statement hit me like a ton of bricks because I know ministers who, man, if they were here, they could preach the paint off the walls. They'd have you jumping, shouting, screaming, turning flips, the whole nine yards. They've built massive churches, but somewhere along the way, they lost their heart. They're still good people. They still love God, but somewhere something has shifted in their heart. And I thought about, when I was, I was looking in the mirror, and I thought, I don't want that to be my story. I don't want to stand up here and just become like a master pulpiteer where I can, I know how to work a crowd and I know how to say a few things that excite you, but yet my heart not be there because God is not going to judge me based upon how good my sermon was. 
He's going to judge me according to what was going on in my heart. Who am I? What's going on in here? That's what God cares about. He cares about your heart. For those of you who are musicians, you get up here and you worship, you can have the best talent in the world. You can be an amazing musician, and it means nothing to God if your heart's not in it. If your heart is not worshiping him, it means nothing. But if your heart's there, it doesn't matter what it sounds like. Because God doesn't care about what we care about. My, my great-grandfather was in a church service one time, and he felt like praising the Lord and didn't have any instruments laying around, but he found an old pie pan there. And he picked up this pie pan and he started beating it. Can you imagine how obnoxious that is? And I told the first service, don't try it. Like, don't come here with a pie pan. I will have you escorted out of the church. Because you're not anointed to play the pie pan. <laughs> this guy was called by God to play this pie pan at this moment so I would have this illustration. But imagine how annoying the sound of somebody bashing a pie pan, probably off time, while the music's trying to be played. Yet, God sits in heaven and goes, I love that. Because his heart was in it. He was saying, you know what? I want to praise God, but I don't have the ability to play a guitar. So I'm going to do whatever I can because he's the king that loves me. He's the God that saves me. And I want him to know how much I love him because he has my heart. He doesn't care about your ability. He cares about your heart. Your gift can bring you into the room with greatness. Hear what I'm saying? Your gift, your ability, your talent can bring you into the room with greatness. David had the ability to kill the giant. His musical ability had the, gave him the ability to come before the king, but it was his heart that made him the king. Are you getting that? It's great to have gifts and abilities, but the heart is what makes you. And David so captured the heart of God that he became like God in ways that blows my mind. Because when I was reading through his story, you know, a lot of times we look at the, gi the giant that fell, we look at all these battles that he won, and that's what people sing about, and that's what people talk about, that's what we tell our kids about. But all that stuff is nothing compared to his greatest accomplishment, which was getting a heart after God. And what blew me away about his story is there's a time where Saul's trying to kill him. Saul becomes so jealous that he wants to kill David and on multiple occasions he comes in and attempts to kill him and David escapes him. He's on the run and Saul pursues him. Think about that. David didn't do anything wrong yet this man wants his life. Well one day David's hiding out in a cave and, Paul, uh, and Saul comes in to relieve himself Number one or number two, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell you. But he's relieving himself. David has the opportunity to kill him, and he doesn't. Then one night, David goes into Saul's camp. Saul is sleeping on the ground, and his spear is by his head. And David's guy says, hey, let's take the spear and pin his head to the ground. David says, no. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And the ability to love his enemy that was pursuing him can only come from the heart of God. See, there are things that God asks us to do in Scripture that will go against your human nature. You won't want to do it. You won't have the desire to do it on your own. But when you capture his heart, the things you didn't desire become your desire. 
The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you, let's finish it, anybody know it? The desires of your heart. We twist that to think, okay, if I take pleasure in God, he'll get me a Porsche. If I take pleasure in God, I'm going to get a bigger home. So I'm going to go delight myself, because if I delight myself, I'm going to end up with Michelle Pfeiffer. Again with Michelle Pfeiffer, I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm, I'm much... I'm, I'm much younger than her. And I'm married. <laughs> to a beautiful wife. To a beautiful wife. That's right. Thank you so much. She is beautiful. I told her this morning, I said, how good she looks. Love you. Do you really? You love me too? Okay, good. You never know what kind of trouble you're going to get in when you get up here and preach. <laughs> y'all, y'all only got to bear with me for about 30 minutes on a Sunday. She's got to deal with me like every day of her life, so... God bless her. There's a special place in heaven for that woman, I guarantee you. I'm a handful. In a good in a good way. But delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you Michelle Pfeiffer. Nope. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you a new boat. Nope. He gives you the desires of your heart, though, Pastor. Isn't that what it says? That's what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So what does that mean? He means as you delight yourself in him, as you draw close to him, as you seek his presence, he puts the desires into your heart. So the things you didn't desire to do, now you desire to do. You desire to love. You desire to forgive. You desire to be generous. You desire these things because now I've delighted myself in him and at this point I've captured his heart and want to do what he wants me to do. And that's what happens with David. He loves Saul, even though Saul has become his enemy. And it mirrors Jesus, who loved us while we were still sinners. We were the enemy. We were the ones on the ground that deserved to have the spear stuck through our head, yet Jesus says, no, I love you. Even though you're in my my enemy, I love you. He pursued us when we weren't pursuing him. He died for us while we were still ungodly. He's getting that. He didn't wait for us to fix it. He loved us. And that's the kind of love that was produced in the heart of David. And that's the kind of love and passion that we can have in our life if we'll capture the heart of the Father. You want to be great? Get your heart right. You want to do great things? Get your heart right. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter where you've been from, come from, doesn't matter the color of your skin. If your heart is right before God, He will use you. Because if you're pliable, you are usable. Father, I thank you for every person who's watching online right now. God, I ask that you would soften their heart to receive your word, Lord, to bring transformation. Lord, help them in their need. Lord, let them see their need for you and desire more of you in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.